Welcome to another episode of Dakota Spotlight. I really appreciate you listening and would like you to know about Spotlight Plus. It is a subscription to Dakota Spotlight that provides bonus content, early access, and ad-free listening, all while supporting my work and the show you love. You can subscribe right in the Apple Podcasts app or visit dakotaspotlight.com. You're listening to Dakota Spotlight, a production of Forum Communications. My name is James Wallner, and this is episode 20 of A Better Search for Barbara. Hi. Nice Hi, I'm Shelby. Nice to meet you. Finally. Nice to meet you. I feel like I know you, kind of. This <laughs> <laughs> my husband, Ed. And he snooped in mom's room and found a letter and said that it was a suicide letter. He did? He yeah. He remembers it being a suicide letter. Yeah. And he said he brought it up to Grandma, and she would not talk to him about it. This is the original report that came in um, on 4-12-1981 at 15.56 hours, okay? Um, and this is what it says. Call from Louise Cotton. Uh, reporting that her daughter Barbara has not come home since yesterday. She is a 15-year-old, lists her date of birth, brown hair and eyes, small build, wearing a tan short jacket and blue jeans. Was last seen at a friend's house at about 10 p.m. last night. Was with a guy by the name of Stacy earlier in the evening. Stacy, first name, used to wash dishes at Cakes and Cones. Some of the things that he liked to do could kill you. Because how would nobody know about this boy? He enjoyed choking and suffocating me and my sister. She was, I don't know, one of the kindest people I knew. But back then it was a popular hangout for the kids that got into trouble. She's not going to, you're going to run away with no money. And I feel guilty that we didn't do enough early on. Her boyfriend watched her walk to Recreation Park, which is five blocks from her home. But mostly gentle and kind is what I remember about her. Uh, Louise Cotton called, and she reports that she thinks her daughter is in Scobie, Montana, with a Stacy Wardner. They might be in room 205 at Pioneer Hotel. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 20. Before we get into this Barbara Cotton episode, I want to first of all say that while this season is not ending, season six of Dakota Spotlight titled Vanishing Act is starting on February 2nd, 2022, which at the time of this recording is in about 10 days. The current plan is that that season will be one episode a week with episodes dropping on Wednesdays. I can also reveal here and now that season six will be a live investigation which pretty much should tell you that it's about an unsolved case. Here is a sneak peek. A couple of people that just vanished off the face of the earth. If I could like say to her right now, if I could go back, I would tell her whatever it is you have up there isn't worth it. No, it's not worth it. And that's where the investigators have said that that's the suspicion of where they did what they did. Get off my property or I can make you get off my property. Well, if anyone knows anything, please find it in yourself to, to do what you would want 
done for your loved one. I just, I would uh, appreciate that immensely to know something. Check out season six of Dakota Spotlight, Banishing Act, starting February 2nd. This episode of A Better Search for Barbara is a little bit of a hodgepodge, but in general, we're going to be talking to Sandy Evanson, Barbara Cotton's childhood friend. You'll remember Sandy from episode one. And while talking to Sandy, I'll be playing some other audio snippets. Some of these clips are from previous episodes as Sandy and I look back on the last year. But I also recently traveled by car from North Dakota to California, where I stopped one day in Wairika, Stacy Werder's hometown, and I spoke with his sister Shelley and her daughter. You'll remember Shelley from episode 5. So let's get right into my conversation with Sandy Evanson, Barbara's childhood friend and our friend, the always delightful Sandy Evanson. Hey Sandy, how are you? I'm doing well, how are you? I'm doing pretty good, freezing in western North Dakota, so cold. Yep, I'm ready for spring. Which reminds me, the first time I ever met you is coming up on almost exactly one year now. I think it was... January 20-something last year, I went to Williston, met you at Recreation Park, and there you were. I'd never met you before, almost a year later. I mean, it seems, does it seem longer or shorter? How does it feel to you? Uh, It feels like about a year. feels like a lot of stuff has happened since we met, and then uh, it was freezing like this when we met, and it was also like pretty much the height of COVID. Yeah. And it was so cold. I was trying to navigate with my microphone and with all these clothes on, winter clothing. I mean, I don't think the podcast would have happened, to be honest, without your help. So first of all, thank you so much. Um, there's one thing that ha- has not happened over the last year. There's a lot of stuff that has, as you mentioned, but we still don't know what happened to Barb. How do you feel just in, in general about the last year, what's been done? I mean, just in general, I don't know. I'm feeling, in the end, still sad that we haven't found more out, haven't found her. But i also hopeful, you know, the word has gotten out so much more. Still hopeful that maybe there'll be some cold case type activity going on for her with the police department coming up in the future. Yeah, it's been a roller coaster of a year, I would say. I mean, we I don't know if you remember back in March, the first week of the podcast, you told me a story, actually. I think it was the day of the first episode dropping or second. <laughs> you, yep. you came home or tried to come home. You want to tell that story? I came home, put my car in park, and uh, messages were going off or the notifications were going off on my phone. And I kept trying to go inside, but it was one person after another reaching out to me. And I sat in my car for about an hour in my driveway. With the car running or? Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's cold, probably. Or maybe not. It was actually day. kind of a nice day that day, but um, mostly I just forgot to shut it off because it was like one of the things that was really gripping was Stacy Warder's family reached out to me that day. And Stacy's always been my first memory of what Louise told me about Barb being seen with her or with him. And um, always never knew for sure if that was true or anything. And 
they came and said, you know, to me that Louise had talked to their mom and that. So then I started to get validation that what I heard and what I believed all these years was true. Hello, dear listener. This is James, host of Dakota Spotlight, inviting you to subscribe to Spotlight Plus. For as little as $5 per month, you will get the warm feeling of supporting the show and also unlock access to bonus episodes. Get the episodes early and listen ad-free. That's right, no more ads. Apple users can subscribe to Spotlight Plus Standard right in the Apple Podcasts app. If you want to dive deeper and get even more exclusive benefits, subscribe to Spotlight Plus Premium or Spotlight Plus Ultimate. Go to dakotaspotlight.com for more details. Yeah, I remember you telling me that story. You like you were for that whole week or for a couple of weeks, your notifications on your phone were going off all the time. <laughs> Just it, it, was, <laughs> it was it was it was a crazy and okay. The, my Facebook group, Dakota Spotlight Facebook group, um, grew from I think I had eight hundred members before Barb Cotton, and within a month there were another you know two two three thousand people so much going on it was just crazy really yep and every time you put out another episode and that's the thing too when i met you in the park i thought it'd be one or two episodes at the most and then you kept finding out more information and it would lead us down one path and then another path and then another episode would come and then the notifications would be going off again <laughs> oh boy well, there's some, we could talk about some things I got wrong, or I feel in hindsight, I could have done better. I've got a couple things on my mind. And one is, I feel kind of bad now that some people, when other people have written about this online, they think that Barbara went roller skating. And that's because I started the whole podcast with your story. You went roller skating, walked home that night. And it was just sort of the intro into the story, because I tend to, to, to produce these stories as kind of slow burns, you know, a longer more like reading a book, right? Takes a little longer. And that that's uh-huh. one thing I wish I'd have done differently, but Barb was not with you roller skating and another thing I to me actually I thought of it myself and then it was <laughs> someone pointed it out to me recently because I always thought it was kind of weird that Stacy Werder would be standing watching Barbara walk all the way to the park. Like why would a person just stand there and watch? And I thought, "Oh, maybe he was smoking a cigarette." And I thought, you know, how long does it take to smoke a cigarette? How long does it take to walk that? And it'll kind of, "Oh, that could make sense." But in 1981, no one had to go outside to smoke a cigarette. I mean, that was in my head, right? Like, you got to go outside to smoke. But back then, you could just, if he was at the Plainsman, for example, he would just be inside smoking, right? What do you think? Uh, Well, remember, though, there is somebody later on, was it Randy Falcon and them that said somebody else was out there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, outside smoking a cigarette, too. And I actually did just hear from someone that when the uh the dance what's the name of the dance place down this on the corner canteen. okay so teen canteen canteen teen canteen so i've heard i've been told that you know you could come and go usually when there are dances and it was very common to walk over towards the plainsman like to leave the dance and go smoke a cigarette or maybe some kids sneak in alcohol or whatever but you would go over to that people would go over to that area or an alley near the plainsman so who knows yeah well and you probably maybe didn't want to be seen smoking by teen canteen you know like because there would have been supervision you know like teachers or something yeah there so they might not want to have been seen so there's a couple things i feel like i got wrong a little bit um i think you've done a great job and 
No, thank you. Yeah, we all, like, you know, I feel like I made a mistake back then, too, not doing enough in the very beginning when she went missing, thinking that the answers were going to come any day now and we're going to find her or she's going to come home or something, and we lost valuable time that we'll never get back again. What did we... uh say you were 16 at the time i think you were young a young girl it wasn't your job to find out what happened to her so you definitely don't need to be <laughs> have that on your conscience I, I understand the feeling but you weren't the person who was supposed to be trying to find her so no but but if i had to do it over again i'd be doing a lot different things now knowing what i know you know sure well another thing that happened in the last year is the billboard and fine barb cotton fronted by yourself and lisa joe uh, Sheely, that was amazing. When I saw that, I've never seen it in person, but when I saw the pictures of the billboard, that 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 was that was very awesome for me to see because that felt like that came off the momentum of the podcast, you know. Yep, and that's something I've always dreamed that would come about one day is that there would be a billboard for Barb to remind us to keep it alive so she isn't forgotten. And so the day that it went up. Kathy and I went out there, and I actually did my first and only live Facebook <laughs> yeah, yeah. on that and it going up and whatever. But it was a very emotional moment for me and Kathy. We both cried and hugged each other. and Yeah. It was a very emotional moment. I understand, for sure. I mean, it was for me, too, to just see that. Wow. And so far, it's still, we've been able to, Lisa has. And I got to thank her for everything that she's done for Barb. Yeah. She's been amazing. So far, she's been able to keep it going, and I'm so proud of her. She has done an amazing job, and you can see more at findbarbcotton.com. And um, what else should we talk about here a year after? we, You know, last I, when I met you in person at the 40th, uh, what did we call it, an anniversary, uh, a celebration of... Celebration, celebration of, of life, life on was it April 11th first time we oh second time we met and uh and we know when we left they're like oh we got to get together soon and have dinner or something <laughs> we still haven't done that I mean with COVID and I don't live close to there <laughs> no. exactly, but we should still do that at some point I would like to see you again it's it's been a while since I saw you so yeah. get another hug from you <laughs> <laughs> well I won't tell you why I won't tell listeners why but this story's not over but i might be going back to williston quite a bit this year for the barbara cotton case and i'm not gonna spoil why exactly but there's still work to be done you big tease <laughs> <laughs> yeah well still trying to finalize some details on a something but well, that's awesome that's awesome news i can't thank you enough james for everything that you've done without you i think it just would have faded away forever you know, one thing that's interesting, well, thank you for saying that. One thing that's so interesting for me to look back in hindsight, I thought there was so much more information. There would be so much more information. It would be so much clearer what happened. I had no idea that we, you know, the, the podcast and yourself and Lisa Joe and, and others were going to go out on these quests, really, to find out more about um, Frank De La Pena and Stacy Werder and all of these other things that you know came forward. I just had no idea. I thought I was going up there for probably a pretty short story, but yes, I agree with you. I was like really shocked about when I met 
went and met with the police department or whatever. I And when you talked with them on, I think it was episode five, I thought we'd find out a lot more information that was documented. And I was really shocked and surprised that and and without you too i what i wouldn't know half of the stuff i know now i, I wouldn't know three quarters 99 <laughs> percent oh well, i recently drove um well i had to go out to california for a funeral and so i decided to drive uh for different reasons and i decided I might as i might as well go to malta and glasgow montana where Stacy Werder died in Malta. And on my way down through Northern California, I actually stopped in Wairika, California, where Stacy Werder grew up. And I met with uh, Shelley, his sister, who spoke in episode five. And we went up to the cemetery, actually. She showed me where he's buried, where her, their parents are buried and things like that. So. Hi. Nice Hi, Shelley. Nice to meet you, finally. Nice to meet you. I feel like I know you, kind of. <laughs> Come on in. Here is Shelley speaking in episode five. And all I heard him say was, I'm going to kill you. Where'd you go? And I'm hiding in this room. And I don't know how long I was there, but I finally was able to get out of there. And I went down to my neighbors, this old lady. And I called my mom and told her to get home quick because Stacy was going crazy. I told the baby I'm going to step out and I'm going to see if he left. Well, I'm walking out to the street and I look up my house is on fire. And he's walking the other way towards town. And I yelled out, our house is on fire. He goes, well, who do you think did it? And he just kept walking. I want this out of my life. I have been seeing the counselors and I've been dealing with all this for a long time. Come on in. Hi. I'm Sandra. Hi, Sandra. Nice to meet you. Guys, I was having an issue with my microphone, so this audio is a little bit cluttered. Sorry about that. The other person speaking here is Sandra, Shelley's daughter. Thanks for allowing me to take a couple minutes of your time. I'm recording audio. Is that okay? Oh, yeah. That's for the podcast? Yeah. You have a seat anyway. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Have you guys been following the podcast? Yeah. Um, she couldn't really listen to, not this last one with Red, but the one before. Mm-hmm. She couldn't listen to that one. Just didn't The work. one where it said we can't tie a knot tight enough oh. around pair of pants. I'm that sorry. freaked me out. Yeah, I'm so sorry. That's all right. But we so much appreciate you guys helping us with this story. Oh, we just want closure for the family. Yeah, yeah. That's what we want. Yeah. Um, I talk to Sandy a lot. Sandy. Uh, on Facebook. A, yeah. Oh, good. She's yeah. great. Yeah, she is awesome. She's the one that got me in touch with you. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, because I reached out to her because, like, we listened to the first couple episodes, and I was like, you know, there's stuff that he needs to know. Yeah. Uh, like, I was like, Mom needs to tell her story. Because, yeah. I mean, the things that her and my aunt went through, I mean, I wasn't alive yet. I wasn't born until 83. Mm-hmm. But I grew up listening to all these stories from her and my aunt, and 
the person that they knew was not the Stacy Werger that everybody else knew. Right. I mean, he was a completely different person. And that's why there's no doubt in their minds that he could have had something to do with mm-hmm. it. Because, I mean, he almost killed my mom. Right. And he would have killed her that day if she wouldn't have hid from him. Um, it was... So, my son, he mm-hmm. grew up with my grandma. And one day, he was going through a box of stuff, and he came across a letter that he said seemed like a suicide note to my grandma from my Uncle Stacy. And now no one can find it. So he read it? Uh, Yeah, my son read it. But he, I talked to him about it. He said he can't really remember what was in it, but he remembers it being in a box of stuff under grandma's bed. And he was just being a kid, you know, and snooping in yeah. grandma's mom's room. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because my grandma was the one who raised him, so that was his mom. And he snooping in mom's room and found a letter and said that it was a suicide letter. He did. He yeah. remembers it being a suicide letter. Yeah. And he said he brought it up to grandma and she would not talk about it. Like, she stopped him from talking about it and just never brought it up again. And so he thinks she might have done something with it after that. Before I left Wairika and headed on to my friend's memorial service, Stacy's sister Shelley and I drove up to the cemetery in Wairika. That's where Stacy's buried. Stacy Damar Werder, U.S. Navy, 10-5-59-7-16-1981. And then it says, you want to read what it says there? Yeah, this is on the road again. On the road again. Is that something your mom decided? Yeah. It all came from my mom. What else? We, who else we have here? This is my daughter, beloved daughter and sister, 12-3-1980, 12 1980 I'm so sorry. That leads. And then this one is my little brother. He was born in 58 and died in 59. This over here is my dad and my grandparents. This is my grandparents. That's my dad. And this is my dad's sister. Now, let's get back to my conversation with Sandy Evanson. Another thing I did on my way back to North Dakota from California after this was I stopped in Rawlings, Wyoming, which is just was sad actually and i parked across the street from where frank de la pena abducted uh, penny and renee and later killed them i was that that was i don't even know what to say I'm a, it was just i'm emotional just thinking about it that's one of the things i mean about it's hard to look back you know a year ago almost a year ago you and i met in the park the freezing cold and we're going to do i'm going to do this story and then uh, 10 months later I'm parked across the street from an old drugstore in Rawlings, Wyoming, and it's <laughs> it's just kind of surreal, like it is where Barbara's story takes us, I guess. Yep, that was a really emotional episode about when oh, we find goodness. you know you oh when uh, what was the lady's name that was kind of the advocate for the family? Andy or Andre? Yeah. I remember it being a safe town. Wyoming felt comfortable to me. 
I didn't need parental supervision. I remember walking the streets and feeling safe, playing outside until the streetlights went out. I remember walking down to the stores and never fearing anything. I could go to the roller rink, I could go to the movie theaters, I could go pretty much anywhere I wanted without having to have my parents constantly monitor me and my friends. And it was that way until the day that Penny and Renee were abducted. She, she was amazing, but yeah. it was very emotional listening to that story. And it was very scary. Like, that's always been, like, one of the biggest fears I've always had is something like that happened to Barb. She got just grabbed, basically, or lured into. Yep. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Thursday, May 7th, 1981, just 26 days since Barbara Cotton was last seen alive. It's high noon in Riverton, Wyoming, when a 21-year-old woman named Trisha pulls into the parking lot of the grocery store Safeway on North Federal Boulevard. Maybe, as she heads towards the Safeway entrance, she zips up her jacket or pulls up her collar. It's unusually cool, just 50 degrees. Inside the store is a man, a man about 30 years of age. He's got dark curly hair and a round face. He's about five foot six inches tall, maybe 160 pounds, and looks Latino, maybe Mexican. He's wearing a dark leisure suit and an English touring cap, the kind that buttons down on the front, on the brim. On the lapel of his jacket is a John Lennon pin. He's wearing a cream-colored shirt with pictures of women on it. The women are all kneeling. The man approaches Trisha. He says, Hey, I have an Alaskan Malamute puppy I need to give to a good home because I'm being transferred to South America. You can have it for free if you want. The young woman is interested. I'll wait for you in the parking lot. The woman agrees and the stranger leaves Trisha to finish her grocery shopping. A few minutes later, she exits Safeway with her shopping cart and finds the man waiting for her outside. Can I show you that puppy now? 
Let me put my groceries in my car first, she tells him. The man watches as Trisha puts her bags in the trunk of her car. They walk up to a white van. It's a Ford, maybe 1973, with windows and a side door. It's pulling a camper trailer, also white. The van has a North Dakota license plate on it, ANL 711. The puppy's inside the camper. Come on in, he says. We might have to search for him. He's probably hiding. The girl takes another look at the man, his curly hair, the leisure suit, the John Lennon pin. The world is still mourning John Lennon. He was assassinated just five months earlier in New York. The man opens the door to the camper, but no puppy shows itself. Will you help me look for him? He says. Perhaps it's just a gut feeling, perhaps instinct, but the woman declines to enter the camper. Perhaps, she says, can't you just bring him outside so I can see him? You know, maybe he's in the van, the man says. He shuts the door to the camper and opens the van's side door. Come on in. The young woman considers the situation, a free puppy. But she stands her ground. The man asks her again and again and again to help him find the little dog. Come on in. Trisha backs away. Something's not right. She returns to her car, gets inside, and who knows, maybe she even locks her doors. She starts up her car and shifts it into reverse. But before she can back out of the parking stall, the man has moved his van and trailer. He's parked it right behind her, boxing her in. She can't leave. She can't get out. What are you doing, she says, maybe through a cracked window. A conversation takes place. The girl agrees to let the man follow her home. Maybe how else to get him to move his big rig so she can leave, but this wise young woman has no intention of letting this stranger follow her to her house. The man moves his big rig out of the way and then follows Trisha as she drives her car through the parking lot and stops at the exit along Federal Boulevard. Federal Boulevard is five lanes in total, two lanes in each direction and a center turning lane. The girl looks left and then right as traffic approaches from both directions. Perhaps she takes a quick peek in the rearview mirror and sees this curly-haired stranger observing her from the white van. Perhaps she doesn't turn on her turn signal at all. Or maybe she does. Maybe she signals that she's going to turn right. Trisha passes on one or two opportunities to safely pull into the boulevard. She waits, waits for that perfect life-saving opportunity, and then... jets across three lanes in front of heavy traffic and speeds north, leaving the man in the heavy and clumsy rig stuck, waiting for an opening.
The next time Trisha will see this man's face will be in a nine-picture photo lineup shown to her by police. And so, you know, that made me think about what could have Barb's last moments been like. Oh, my goodness. What it was like for them two little girls. Oh, my goodness. It's horrifying, and that's like some of the... This last year has been a lot of ups and downs. You think you're getting somewhere or something, and maybe we are. And then the down about like that just being so terrible, thinking about what happened to Barb or could have happened to her. Right. Let me ask you a question that I already know the answer to, I think. Are you ever going to give up? No, I'm never. I mean, I'll still keep doing whatever I can do, like, you know, I don't like doing these <laughs> interviews. No, you don't. <laughs> uh, but, but like I always say, I'll do whatever I can, you know, for Barb. This is like our last chance. And I don't know how much longer I got on this earth, but, but I'll do what I can as long as I'm here. Sandy, I can't thank you enough for talking with us again. I know it's been a while since people heard from you on the podcast, but it all started with your voice and my voice in the beginning of episode one. So I thought we should maybe sort of, again, not end the podcast. We're not ending per se, but this might be the last one for a while. And uh, well, I appreciate you. I appreciate you as well. I want to thank Sandy Evanson again for her great contribution to this whole season. Just a couple of days ago, I spoke with someone who has a very interesting memory in regards to Barbara's disappearance. I'm hoping to be able to share that with you soon, but it might be a month or more because for various reasons, this person needs a little more time before coming forward. It's complicated, but worth the wait. Meanwhile, Season 6, Vanishing Act, starts on February 2nd. And here's something new. I'm going to start posting more on YouTube on the Dakota Spotlight channel. Moving forward, you'll be able to listen to episodes there, but I'll also be posting videos and photos from the stories I'm covering. And a couple times a month, I might post a video with a Dakota Spotlight update with just me talking about what's going on or sharing behind-the-scenes stuff. I don't much like being on camera. To be honest, I'd rather be behind a camera, but maybe it's time for me to get over that. And speaking of video, last year we won a regional Emmy Award for the documentary film The House on Sweet and Seventh, which is also season three of this podcast. That film was co-produced by Dakota Spotlight and Forum Communications Click Content Studios. Shout out to Derek Fletcher and others there. To be honest, I don't feel like I thank all of you listeners enough. You make this podcast possible. Last night at 10 p.m. I was working on this very episode and I got a call from a listener in Glasgow, Montana, who recently discovered the Barb Cotton podcast. She just called to say how much she enjoys and appreciates Dakota Spotlight. Sometimes I get emails similar to this. I get wonderfully supportive comments in the Facebook group and the Apple podcast reviews are almost exclusively positive ones. I want you to know that this feedback does have an impact on me. And it's partially why I continue to do this work. I can't always get back to all of you, but it does mean the world to me. Thank you so much, listeners. And if you have an iPhone, consider giving Dakota Spotlight a review and rating over there. That helps others find this podcast. 
I want to thank the Cotton family, the Werder family, Carrie Abbey, Fine Barb Cotton, the Williston Police Department. I want to thank Emily Hirsch and others in Denver, law enforcement in Wyoming and Montana. I want to thank Andy Johnson. Big shout out to Isaac Ike Turner of Kalamazoo and all his musician friends for sharing their cool music. Over on Twitter, thank you Aaron Reed, Liz Barnsley, and others for your support. Finally, and off-topic, I'll selfishly use my platform here and now to say another goodbye to my childhood friend, Patrick McDowell, who passed away last year. Dude, I don't know if you are listening, but I keep forgetting you're gone. Keep picking up my phone, thinking I'll just give you a quick call. You are missed by many, but your passing has helped reunite old friends like Stephanie and your cousin and I and others in places like Alexander Valley, Westside, Fitch Mountain, Dry Creek, and all our old high school haunts. I'll reiterate what Sandy Evanson said in this episode and say, I don't know how much longer I'll be on this earth. In my case, I'm hoping for another four decades, but whenever my time comes, I look forward to hanging out with you again, brother. To all of you, once again, thank you for listening to another episode of A Better Search for Barbara. I'll see you next time. Dakota Spotlight is a production of Forum Communications. This season is dedicated to my daughters and to all daughters everywhere. To support the Fine Barb Cotton Billboard Fund, head over to finebarbcotton.com or email Lisa Joe at finebarbcotton at gmail.com. A Better Search for Barbara is written, recorded, and edited by me, James Wallner, and researched by myself and the growing community of people dedicated to getting answers about Barbara's disappearance. Many thanks to Isaac Turner of Kalamazoo, Michigan, for providing awesome music for this season. Check him out by searching Wowza in Kalamazoo on Bandcamp.com. And why not check out the Dakota Spotlight Facebook group or find me on Twitter. To contact me, email me at dakotaspotlight at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time.
Come on, it's been 40 years. Thank you so much for listening. To support my work, get early access, listen ad-free, and much more, please consider subscribing to Spotlight Plus. Apple users can even subscribe right in the Apple Podcasts app. Learn more about Spotlight Plus at dakotaspotlight.com.